You are listening to the sermon audio of New Hope Community Church in Canaan, New Hampshire. For more information, visit our website at newhopecommunity.net. You join me by turning in the New Testament to 1 Corinthians. And this morning, our scripture reading is from two different places. Uh, so I'll first be reading from 1 Corinthians 10 verses 14 through 17, and then over to chapter 11, verses 23 through 34. Uh, And so please, if you would, uh, stand if you are able and listen as I read from the scriptures. Beginning with 1 Corinthians 10, verses 14 through 17. Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. I speak to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks, a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one loaf. And then in chapter 11, beginning at verse 23, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we judged ourselves, we would not come under judgment. When we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined, so that we will not be condemned with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for each other. If anyone is hungry, he should eat at home, so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come... I will give you further directions. These are the words of the Lord. You may be seated. America's fascination with food is evident by the popularity of the Food Channel Network. Have you ever noticed the number of shows there are about food? Uh, There are shows geared for those who can cook, chopped, diners, drive-ins, and dives. You watch other people who can make these fantastic meals. Then you have shows for those who are children who might aspire to be chefs. You have kids baking championships. And then not to feel left out, there are shows even for you who don't know how to cook, worst cooks in America. Food's important to all of us. Yeah, it is a necessity. But I think we'll quickly realize even within the church, uh, food is something we often attach to things that we're going to do. Uh, Many times we sort of look for an excuse for when can we have a potluck supper? When can we bring a refreshment item in? Uh, If you're wondering, we do have refreshments during Sunday school. 
but the reality is, have we ever stopped to think that the church is what it eats? That the church is what it eats. So we've said that our memory verse this year is from Titus 3 about we should be a people devoted to doing what is good. And that sounds great, it's a catchy phrase, but we're spending January and February looking at what is the good that we're to be devoted to. We're to be devoted to worshiping well. We're to be devoted to knowing God's word and applying it. And this Sunday we're looking at, we should be devoted to eating well. What does it mean to eat well, especially when it comes to the Lord's Supper? Uh, so I want to direct your attention to 1 Corinthians 10 and 11. And you may have picked up on why I had us read those two sections, uh, because they both deal with the issue of food. And a little bit of background, 1 Corinthians 10, Paul's writing to a church, and he's very concerned because there's people in the church who are also attending pagan temples for the meals that they offer. And, and Paul wants to address that and says, you, you have to realize as a Christian in doing that, uh, given that environment and that culture, the, the wrong message that you're sending. And so that's what he deals with in chapter 10. But then you get into chapter 11, and there he's dealing with eating within the church. And so what you have happening early on is within the church, there was the observance of the Lord's Supper, communion, the Eucharist, all those are synonymous terms. Uh, and it seems to have been preceded by maybe the equivalent of a potluck supper. So you, you go for worship, people would bring food. Um, that meal right before the Lord's Supper was turning into a divisive thing. And so you had some people who are wealthy who are bringing greater amounts of food and maybe not even waiting for the poor to show up for the meal they would start in on their own. In other words, it was driving a wedge between the fellowship there should be before believers. But that meal was then being followed by the Lord's Supper. And so Paul was making a connection. You, you can't do something dishonoring God here and think then somehow you can just switch gears and suddenly be honoring God in how you eat during the Lord's Supper. So what does it mean to eat well for a church? To be doing good in terms of how we come to the Lord's Supper. Uh, and so look with me at, at the passage in 1 Corinthians 10, but verses 16 and 17. There Paul says, Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? As you come to the Lord's Supper, think of it as the Lord's Supper proclaims the gospel. It is keeping that good news of what God has done for us in Christ before us. And you notice the terminology Paul uses. He speaks of a cup of blessing and that this cup would certainly be something often associated with um, the end of a meal rather than in the beginning. But he speaks of the cup of blessing and the bread and in describing each, he says, these are indications of participation. The cup is a participation in the blood of Christ. The bread is a participation in the body of Christ. 
And at this point, just kind of realize participation means fellowship or sharing in. That, that there's a, a relationship that, that's being proclaimed in this. A relationship between us and God through Jesus Christ. It should strike us as somewhat interesting that this was given to the church to do. In other words, this is one of the means that God gives his people to say, keep the gospel before you. Don't just package it up and think it's something we need to tell other people about, which, which we do have a responsibility to do that, but keep the gospel, what God has done for you through Christ. Keep that before you. Think of that often. And knowing we live in a day in an age of distraction, how much greater for us to keep our spiritual attention front and center? But it may have struck you as you listen to this discussion that Paul talks in reverse order. Because typically we're used to the bread first and then the cup. And he speaks here of the cup and the bread. I don't think it necessarily matters if I was to do communion and reverse them. Shouldn't cause you to think, oh no, this is a heresy. But I think there's something else Paul's at here. If the Lord's Supper proclaims the gospel, Paul wants to remind us that the gospel, first of all, changes our vertical relationship with God. And so he draws our attention to the cup. Participation in the blood that covered and paid for our sins. So every time we observe communion, we should be thinking, this is us making a statement about what has changed between my relationship to God, BC before Christ, and now since my relationship with him. Notice if you look at chapter 11, verses 23 and 24, we, we almost are so used to this coming from an apostle but the very beginning of verse 23 into 24, Paul writes, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now just letting those different pronouns rest says to us, what a change in relationship here for Paul. That Paul can say, the God who I persecuted, who I hated, who I tracked people down, who in his own words says, I was like an animal. I, I was obsessed with fighting God. Now I have received from God these words. And as we hold the bread, a reminder of Christ's body that was given for who? Not, not just randomly for just a statement like, well, just for everyone, it's out there. But, it, but it's for you. He died for your sins, for, for my sins. What a statement that, in its very essence, proclaims the gospel. Proclaims, here's the dramatic change that has happened vertically between you and God. But that's not all that's involved, because Paul does mention the cup of thanksgiving, but then he mentions the bread. And so you see in his mention of the bread in chapter 10, verse 17, he's very careful to point out, because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body. For we all partake of the one loaf. Now it has been our custom, and it's not 
written in scripture that you have to do it this way. Uh, but we often like to use some form of a loaf to, to, to remind us of this fact that, that we're not a bunch of separate pieces, but we're, we're one body in Christ. We all have one Savior. We all have been saved and justified the same exact way. And so you see Paul now zeroes in, not just on the vertical relationship that has changed, but the horizontal one. That we're not just Jew and Gentile, but we're one in Christ Jesus. In other words, if you can sit during communion and think of your communion and union with Christ, it should naturally follow. That means now that you have communion and union with one another. One loaf, and there's a reason for that. There's one Savior. We have been made one in Christ Jesus. And so it is never our job, according to Scripture, to, to try to make us one. It is, according to Paul elsewhere, our work to maintain that unity, to, to foster it, to see it grow deeper. But we're not the ones who make us one. It is Christ who has made us one. So what a, a beautiful way of proclaiming the gospel in a way that we can visually look at and, and picture and help us to see where this is going. But then go over to 1 Corinthians 11 and notice verses 33 and 34. Uh, Paul's dealing with a sensitive subject here. He's, he's writing to a church that is having its share of divisions and, and displays of disunity. And, and typical in Paul's format, when he's dealing with sensitive issues like this, you'll see a certain word that he will use. And so notice in verse 33, he says, So then my, what? My brothers. Not my subordinates. Not, I'm an apostle, I'm up here. Uh, you know, I'm just pouring this stuff into you. But he uses this term that it displays affection and unity. My, my brothers, my beloved. And then you continue on, notice verse 34. Uh, if anyone is hungry, he should eat at home, so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give you further directions. Paul does not want them to lose sight that even though he has to help correct their understanding of the Lord's Supper, he's doing this because he loves them. He's doing this because he is one in Christ, and therefore he is also one with them. And that's good for us to think about when we go through the Lord's Supper. We are proclaiming the gospel. And you might not have really thought about that, but that is what we're doing. Notice it's a perpetual teaching that we are to do. We are to do this until Christ returns. But moving on in the text, if you go to chapter 11 and verses 24 through 26, Paul shows that the Lord's Supper and the faithful engagement in it promotes spiritual growth. Um, in verse 24, he says in chapter 11, And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death 
until he comes. Now, one of the issues that has always been sort of wrestled with in church history is not so much the practice of the Lord's Supper, but is what happens during the Lord's Supper. And so you have the Catholic teaching that speaks of transubstantiation, that, that the elements themselves, as the priest engages in it first, are transformed and become the literal body and blood of Christ. You had a pushback against that in the Lutheran teaching, which went to consubstantiation, that somehow the, the elements do not become the literal body and blood of Christ, but somehow Christ's presence is, is, is there in a very unique way in and under the elements. Uh, then you have the reformers come, and the reformers speak of the Lord's Supper as a, a sign and a seal, a sacrament. And the word sacrament there comes from a term that refers to an oath that a Roman soldier took to a commander. Uh, and sort of the, the reformers tended to emphasize the, the role and agent of in communion Christ's presence being there. But it's still bread and it's still a cup. It's still just juice or wine. And then you have another variation, another and under the umbrella of Protestantism, that, that these are merely memorials or representatives. Um, and yet Christ is active in them, but the, the emphasis becomes slightly different. And we could nuance those and study that more, uh, and it's a worthy study. Uh, but I want to kind of maybe direct your attention to, to looking at it from a little bit more the memorial representative perspective. And in saying that, I'm not saying God's presence in Christ is not active. It is. Because as you listen to Paul's directions, he's very clear that there are consequences if you don't eat correctly, if you don't eat the Lord's Supper well which would imply, would it not, the opposite? That if we engage in it in faith, that there is a blessing, a benefit, a, a spiritual strengthening, an encouragement that is ours. So you notice in verse 24 and 25, which I just read from chapter 11, uh, it speaks about this being a remembrance, something that is more than just to, to recall, but to, to keep it before us, to keep it at the front of your mind. And I'm sure all of us have had this experience this week where we have forgotten something. Despite, in spite of maybe our note taking and putting it in our phones, we, we just lost track of it. And how important it is as Christians, as a church, that, that we keep the Lord's Supper. We keep before us what Christ has done. Zwingli, who is one of the proponents of sort of the, the emphasis on the, the Lord's Supper being a symbolic representation of a remembrance of pointing us to the work of Christ, um, said this, that the Lord's Supper is a meal in which the believer pledges their continuing faith, love, and obedience to Jesus and each other. And so I don't think it's fair to say, well, he's leaving Christ out of the meal. No, he's, he's directing all of our attention by looking at the person and work of Christ. This reminds us, what is our appropriate response to that? To give thanks, to praise him for his grace. And so if we're thinking of the Lord's Supper as promoting spiritual growth, then let me kind of put this before you. The Lord's Supper is an act of worship. 
You may say, well, of course I know that because it's, this is a worship service and I see it's listed in the order of worship. But I think there's a tendency sometimes that we, we view the Lord's Supper as that means I'm going to be at church 10 minutes longer. You know, or it's something at the end of the service that somehow the message is more important. Uh, oh, yeah, we do the Lord's Supper too. Uh, we must see the whole service and the Lord's Supper as being an act of worship. And, and Paul's very clear on that because he connects that you mustn't think what happens before the Lord's Supper does not affect you taking the Lord's Supper. Because remember in chapter 11, he went from you're having this sort of potluck supper together and you're, you're creating all these lines of division and then you're thinking, well, we'll just transition into the Lord's Supper and there's no problem. And I think most of us are keenly enough aware of the fact that if you have an argument with your spouse before getting to church, does that affect your attitude in worship? Or if you get distracted during communion, does it potentially hinder the effectiveness of what you're doing in communion? Absolutely because it should be seen as an act of worship. But then looking again at chapter 11, verses 25 and 26, you notice that the Lord's Supper keeps the new covenant before us. At verse 25, you have Jesus's words regarding the cup. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink it, do it in remembrance of me. Now we read in our meditation about the Old Covenant and, and how Israel renewed that following the, the debacle of the, the breaking by Moses of the initial um, word of the Lord that came down from the mountain. They renewed their covenant with him. But communion points us to as great as that covenant was, it was not the richest and fullest that God would complete in Christ in the new covenant. So saying the cup is a symbol of the new covenant is not just quoting Christ's words, but it's like putting that again front and center in our thinking. Because for many people, sometimes they do have the tendency to look at the Old Testament and say, oh, it'd be so much easier to follow God then. It would have been so much better, you know, to see his, the pillar of fire over the, you know, the, the, the temple or tabernacle, to just see these visual things. But the scriptures clearly indicate we have it so much better. We have the completed word of God. We have Jesus Christ, who now we all can enter into worship in his presence. Why? Not because we're better in some way than the people of old, but because we have a redeemer. We have a mediator, a perfect mediator. And so the Lord's Supper keeps that new covenant before us. But then go right down to the next verse. And you could probably, if you've been in church enough, recite some of these statements because you know this is what the pastor says but you look at verse 26 for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim the lord's death until he comes have you ever considered that one of the ways that the lord's supper promotes spiritual growth is that it is both confessional and evangelistic it's confessional because we are declaring something we are declaring Christ's death and his resurrection and that there's more to the story because he's going to return. Jesus said, this is what you're doing when you do this. You are announcing this. You are explaining this. You are repeating it once again. 
And I think the reason is, as we know through Scripture, we constantly need to be reminded of what God has said. If you have listened to me for how many years you've been here, you've probably realized that I don't necessarily come up with some novel new message each week. You know, it's not like you sit there and say, wow, I don't know where he gets his stuff from, but it's just amazing. All I'm doing is repeating, reminding, not just you, but myself, this is what God says, keeping it before us. So we see in the Lord's Supper, the fact that it is confessional. We are proclaiming something. And, and we might not think of it this way, but it's also evangelistic because we are making a statement to anyone who is here. If they're here and they're not a Christian, we're saying to them, God loves you. But here is an act that you cannot enter into if you don't know Christ. We're, we're reminding there is a distinction between knowing Christ and not knowing Christ. And what we want to keep in mind there is in that distinction, Paul does say there, there's some warnings that have to be given. This, this process of warning is what's sometimes called like fencing the Lord's table. Where you're saying, Here, here's what God has said. It's evangelistic in that it really is not open to those who don't know Christ. And, and the reason there's the warning is for your own benefit and protection. So in the Lord's Supper promoting growth, we come to the final part that we know we've been saved by grace. So the Lord's Supper does not save you. It, it can promote spiritual growth because we're acting in obedience to God's word. But we need to be very clear, it does not save you. But at the same time, because it is an act of worship, the Lord's Supper calls for self-examination. And so you notice in verses 28 through 32 of chapter 11, Paul says, what, what should that look like to examine yourself? And you notice in verse 28, he simply says a man ought to. Now that's not like an option. Paul isn't saying, you kind of want to think about this. You know, if you're in the mood to, go ahead. Ought means necessity. You have to examine yourself. If you're going to do this and partake in faith, and for it to be an act of worship. So you ought to examine yourself, but then he goes on, he says, examine yourself or himself before he eats or drinks of the cup. Then go down a little bit further to verse 32. And part of the purpose of this examination is when we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. Now, the word examine means to, to thoroughly investigate. The word disciplined means to be trained or instructed in. So communion is a time for spirit-led examination. In other words, you're a Christian. The Holy Spirit lives in you. Ask the Spirit to search your heart, to bring to your mind anything in your life that needs to be confessed or dealt with, that, that you desire to put right before God. This examination is not some kind of personal pity party. Uh, and and we, we want to be very careful. There's a difference between saying, have the Holy Spirit examine you. First, getting caught in the trap of comparing yourself to other Christians around you. One is godly. One is completely destructive. So it's a spirit-led examination. 
And you notice the reasons why verses 29 through 31 give you what happens if you don't do that. And he says, for anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. I remember one of the first times I was uh, teaching on this and uh, I don't even remember the setting, but I had someone up come up to me after the message and say, I never knew that was in the Bible. Like this harsh warning that do you realize that there could be some people in a church who prematurely God has taken home or judged them harshly because of the mockery they're making of the Lord's Supper, that they're going through the motions. It means nothing to them. They have a wrong concept of what the Lord's Supper is. That sort of brings to us, wow, this is not, this, this is serious. It should almost have the same response as we saw in Exodus 24 when the people knew that God's presence were there. They simply said, tell God we'll, we'll do anything. We'll do everything, he says. That it should humble us and bring us to a point of obedience such as that. So often at this point, you say, all right, so I need to, to be examining myself uh, as we prepare for the Lord's Supper. Um, but, but, but how do you do that? What, what, what do you do? Well, let me suggest three general questions that you could ask yourself. First, simply before the Lord, is there any unconfessed sin in my life? Now, it's impossible for us to say, well, you know, do I have to recount every single sin and try to? No, no. Uh, in Christ, you have been declared righteous. But in reality, we know we, we still stumble. We still fall. So take a few moments as the bread is passed out, as you're waiting. Just ask yourself, is there any unconfessed sin in my life? God, bring, bring that to my attention. David prayed that way. He said, Lord, you know, search me. See if there is anything in me and bring it to my attention. A second question could be, just how serious am I about avoiding sin and living in obedience to Jesus Christ? How serious am I about desiring to avoid sin and walk in obedience to Jesus Christ? Because if communion is intended to confront us with Christ's person and work, to remind us what our response should be to that work, then that's a worthy question. And as a third question, am I holding anything against another brother or sister in Christ or another person in my heart? Am I harboring any kind of bitterness, any kind of hatred towards someone else, and maybe even someone sitting near me? You need to deal with that. This is all a part of what it means to eat well. This past week, many of you are, are familiar with uh, the fact that I know a lot of what's going on within the congregation, which a pastor should. And I know for a number of people in our own congregation, it's been a difficult week. And it got me thinking as I was looking ahead to preparing, gee, what do my people need to hear? Maybe they need to hear about God's sovereignty. That's a good message. God's care, his protection for us. But the more and more I thought about it, the more I prayed about it, came back to, you know what they need? They need communion. They need the Lord's Supper. Because the Lord's Supper is intended 
not for just strong Christians, but also the weakest Christians, the Christians who are struggling, the Christians who haven't had, quote unquote, a good week, to be reminded of who we are because of who we are in Christ. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we desire to move right into worshiping you through the Lord's Supper. And so having heard these instructions, may we apply them, not next week, not tomorrow, but right now. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.